Well, God caught me by surprise this morning. Knowing the topic, knowing the sermon, those songs in the front there, and then this, and beginning of the service got me thinking about my dad. Um, got me crying a little bit up front. Those of you who know my dad, he passed away almost 11 years ago now after a seven-week battle of cancer. And um, I just kept thinking about his journey. I thought about him being up in heaven singing those songs and, and what he might say to me here on earth. Um, some of you knew my dad. He was a pastor. And it was interesting, his journey. I, I was thinking of it while I was sitting there. His journey to death. He had seven weeks that he, he knew he was dying and he knew it was, his prognosis was, was fatal. Um, and he shared with us throughout those seven weeks his thoughts and his fears and his anxieties and, and he was scared. He wasn't scared about his destination. He told us, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I know, I'm, I know of God's grace. I know he's good enough and I'm not scared. But he said, I am scared of heaven. I don't know what it's like. He even though he's a pastor of some pretty significant churches, he was an introvert. He said, and he said, I'm scared of all the people. <laughs> I'm scared of all the crowds. I'm scared of all the people. And then one time, one morning when we were visiting, it must have been maybe two weeks before he finally passed away, he said to us, he said, I had a dream last night. God gave me a dream. And in my dream, and he said, now I know this won't be everybody's experience, but this is what God gave me. He said, in my dream, I was... I had died, and I was in a garden, a beautiful garden, and there was one little boy, one young boy in the garden with me. And this boy invited me over to sit down on, on a bench in this garden. And, and he just told me all about what heaven was going to be like when I walked through the door that was sitting in front of us. And he, he just told me what I was going to experience. He told me what it was going to be like. He asked me if I had any questions and he answered all my questions, and he put my heart at ease, and we just sat there for a while. And then he said, whenever you're ready, I'll walk in and introduce you to Jesus. And he said, I, it just was so peaceful, and I was ready. And he walked me into the door. And, and for my dad, he said, you know what? I'm ready now. I'm not scared anymore, because God's going to show me a picture. He's going to take me, and it's going to be Okay. Now, that wasn't to say that dying wasn't hard. It certainly was. But God gave him a peace about what that end was going to be like. And that's what we're talking about this morning together. We're diving deeper into the end. What, what happens, as Kurt shared, what happens that, that first 10 minutes after we stop breathing, after our heart stops beating? You know, it's good for us to ask that question. You know, my dad was kind of forced to ask that question because he knew he was heading there really soon. How healthy it is for us to ask that question before we're forced to. For those of you who like big words, what we're talking about this morning is called eschatology. Okay, this, the study of death, the end of the world, or the ultimate destiny of humankind. That's eschatology. And we could, we could dig into some pretty controversial debates, if you want. 
We, we, could, we could spend this morning trying to figure out those details and arguing those details. We could open up to the book of Revelation. We could debate you know, about the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Has it happened? Is it going to happen still? Is it ever going to happen? We could start debating on whether there will be a physical rapture or there won't be a physical rapture. We could, we could start discussing the reality of what hell is like. Some say it's going to be hot. I've heard some people say it's going to be cold. We could start debating the reality of what heaven's going to be like, what, what happens there, what is it like. We could jump right into all those intriguing and controversial debates that have split churches and split denominations. We could spend the whole morning, we probably have some pretty interesting conversations afterwards. The, the truth is, though, when it comes to all those kinds of discussions, the truth is there are a whole lot of things about the end times that will remain a mystery. That we just... We just won't be able to explain away. This morning, there's a more important question than trying to figure out all those details. The question is this. How does the knowledge that eternity waits for me, either after I die or after Jesus comes again, how does the knowledge that eternity waits for me shape my life today? How does it shape who I am and how I live day in and day out in this life. If we ask that question and, and seek understanding earlier in our lives, it can shape not only how we die, but it will shape how we live. It did, it did for the Apostle Paul. He wrestled seriously with his eternal future. Right? We get to hear a bit of it in Philippians chapter 1. That's not the main passage we're looking at this morning. But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, Paul has thought about the promises of God given to him, the promises of Jesus for eternity. He, he's thought about and he, he's pondered and he's accepted the, the promise of grace and the promise of forgiveness, the promise that's coming when, when all wrongs are going to be made right again. He's, he's settled into the promise that all pain and suffering will be taken away and the promise that he's going to get to meet Jesus again face to face and be in his presence forever. And he says, I can't wait to be there. I just want to be there now. I just want to go there now where everything is right and all the hurts and pains of this life are over. He certainly doesn't have all the answers of what that looks like. Remember, this is Paul, who also in the book of 1 Corinthians is the one who says, who says that eternity is that great mystery. Here's the mystery that we'll never be able to explain until we get there. But he knows enough that he wants to be there, and he wants to be there now. And listen to, to, to the wrestling that he does. Let me just read a few verses from Philippians 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it's more necessary that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Okay, Paul says, I, I'm live, he says, I'm living with this tension in my life, and that's exactly the understanding of eternity. It's exactly what that understanding will do for us. 
See, all of us live in, in tension. Okay, tension simply is, is anytime you're pulled in two different directions, right? When, when there's two forces trying to move you in a different way. We live in tension. Let, let me see if I can illustrate that for you this morning. I, I need somebody to help me up here. I do, as usual, have, have a thank you gift to give you. I need somebody who likes baseball. Is there anybody here who likes baseball and is willing to help me? Nobody likes baseball. That makes me so sad. Come on up. Come on up. I'd love to have you come join me. All right. Baseball or softball? Which one do you prefer? Softball? We'll go softball this morning then. All I need you to do is come over here a little bit further. And are you pretty good at softball? Favorite position? Catching. Catching? Ooh, watch those knees. It's going to be tough when you get older, okay? Hold this rope right here. This rope is your softball ability, okay? The talent that you have, okay? You have some here because you used to not be very good over here. And you've learned a significant amount to get to this level over here, right? Okay, what if I were to tell you? that you have a little bit more potential here. In fact, you are so good at softball that the Tigers are going to get a hold of you <laughs> and ask you to play on their team. In fact, you might be good enough to play for them already because they aren't doing so hot right now. <laughs> okay? They could use a catcher. All right, so here's your ability. I'm going to tell you that you are going to progress all the way out to here. This is how good, this is really good. Like, you're going to be the next Miguel Cabrera. Okay? Pretty cool. How fast do you want to get out to here and make a, make a few million dollars playing the game you love? You want to get here pretty quickly? Absolutely. The challenge is you're stuck over there because you know how hard it is to get better. So you really can't move your feet very quickly. You got to pretty much stay right there. You are right now caught between the already over there where you are and the not yet that you know is coming and your hope is coming. And you know what? This not yet is going to keep pulling you, wanting you to come this way. You can't, you can't move your feet because you're kind of stuck there. That's who you are right now. And it's going to keep pulling you and you're going to keep pulling back because you're living there, but you want to be here, right? And that's a challenge. That's hard. And what's going to happen is if you pull too hard on me, if you pull back too hard and you pull me here, you're going to lose this not yet, Right? You're going to become satisfied with where you are. You're not going to do the hard work to get better, and you're going to be stuck. And if I pull too hard over this way, saying, come faster, and you can't move your feet that fast, you're going to, you're going to fall over, right? It's hard to live in this already, and you got this not yet waiting for you that you can't get to. This, my friends, is where Paul is. He's stuck in life over there. Life that's imperfect, that's difficult, that's hard. And he lists all those things for us, right? And he said, I would love to be over here where I know I'm going to get, but I can't get there fast enough. I got to stay where I am. And it's hard, and there's this tension in my life. And this is where all of us are too. We love life, but it hurts, it's hard. And we know there's a time coming when everything's going to be perfect, and we're going to be with Jesus, and we can't wait but we're stuck. I'd love to have you stand up here for the rest of the sermon, but I realize I can't. All right, you can drop your rope, and I'm going to give you what all good baseball players need, bubblegum and softball players, all right? <laughs> Don't eat it all at once. Thank you for helping me. I appreciate it very much. We... <clears throat> Paul wants you to see that picture. 
we're stuck in this tension between the already and the not yet. In fact, in our passage, if you have your Bibles open to our passage this morning, it is um, 2 Corinthians 5, just the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5, because he writes about this tension. He writes about the already on this end and the not yet that's to come that, that's pulling him apart and that challenges us as well. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he ends by, by pointing his readers towards heaven, right? The eternal glory that far outweighs the sufferings of this life. And he says in verse 18, the last verse there of chapter 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So he's got to talk about the, the temporary and the eternal. And here he goes, starting in verse 1. He says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Stop there for a moment. Did you catch the already and the not yet there in that verse? This life we live here and now, he says, looks a lot like a tent. Okay? The, the already that we have is we, we're living in tents right now. But what's coming is a house. And not just any house, but a house built by God just for you. Already and not yet. Really, in order to get the whole picture of this, you need to be a camper. You need to be people who camp. And you need to be people who camp in tents or pop-up trailers. None of these RV things, okay? That doesn't count, okay? Because if you've been in a tent, if you've, if you've camped in a pop-up trailer, you know, it's a great diversion for a week maybe. Two if you're really tough. But it sure feels good to come home, doesn't it? Sure feels good to come home and to cook in a real kitchen and sleep in a real bed and to have a real roof on your house instead of... Instead of Instead of a, a, a tarp when it's raining and it drips on you at night, miserable, right? Tent, house, already, what's still to come? We live in the tent looking forward to the house. Go on, verses 2 and 3. It says, meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Uh, pause there again. And Paul's talking about when he says being clothed or being naked, he's talking so much more than just about the clothing we have on our physical bodies. Because I don't think anybody that he's writing to here was having a hard time finding enough clothes to cover their body. I don't think anybody here is having enough time finding enough clothes to cover their body. Instead, what he's talking about is, is our whole physical body here. We, all we know right now is this physical body, this body of mine. That's what I know. It's what I love. It's, I hope you love yours. I hope we take good care of this, this physical body of ours. But, Paul says, that, that already is wonderful, but the not yet is coming when we will receive a new body, perfect and whole, and it will make this body and this life that we live seem like rags. And we'll wonder how we ever loved it so much when when it's so much better. We live in this already body, looking forward to the not yet body. Finish it off, verses four and five. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who, who has made us for this very purpose and has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
In other words, in the meantime, we live in tension. With Paul, we groan and we're burdened, longing for the fulfillment of what is to come. Yet, and yet living here in the not yet, in the already. If you, if you know 1 Corinthians 13, very famous passage, Paul, Paul gives us more of this already and not yet, right? Remember that passage? He says, for now, now we see but a poor reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Okay? We, we long to see Jesus, and here in, in the already, we, we kind of can see him, but we see him rather poorly. He says, then when we get there, we're going to see him face to face as clearly as I see you right here now. I can't wait to see Jesus clearly. He goes on to say, now I know in part, then I shall be known as I, then I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. All the questions we have today in the already, we're filled with questions. We don't know. We know a little bit, but there's a lot we don't. Someday, when I get to this not yet where I'm heading, I'm going to know everything. I'm going to understand the ways of God. How awesome is that? So here we are with Paul, stuck between the already and the not yet. We know what's waiting for us, right? We know there's a heavenly house with, with royal clothing, a new body perfected, and we're going to get to see Jesus face to face. We're going to know the ways of God. And we know that we know less than perfect in this reality. So what do we do with that tension? Why does God give us these glimpses of, of the end, of the not yet, if it's just going to create in us this tension? What is this tension for? Well, I don't believe that God gives us glimpses of the end, glimpses of the, of the not yet, simply to satisfy our curiosity. We're always curious, aren't we, about things we can't know. That, that's why... That's why, you know, we love to know what heaven is like. We love to know the details of what it's going to be. That's why every, every book that get, gets written by someone who claims to have been in heaven for 20 minutes becomes a bestseller, right? Because then maybe we can know. We'd love to be able to predict when Jesus would return. That's a big unknown out there, right? That's why Harold Camping and people like him who, who try and predict the date get all their followers, even though they keep getting the date wrong, because we want to know. We're curious, God, I don't think God's interested in satisfying our curiosity. If he was, he would have given us a lot more answers in this book, a lot more explanation. So what's the purpose of our eschatology? What's the purpose of our, of our understanding and thinking about eternity that is to come? Well, my guess is most of us read right past it in verse 5 of our passage this morning. Paul ended that paragraph about the already and the not yet by saying this. Let me just read that verse again. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In that verse, Paul gives us two reasons of why God gives us this eternal tension in our lives. First of all, he gives us a glimpse of what is yet to be to give us great purpose for today give us great purpose for our lives today. Our understanding of what's to come for eternity becomes our purpose for our lives right here and now. 
It's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. As much as he longed for that future, right? I, I just want to be with Christ. I want to get there now. As much as he longed for that future that God had promised him, Paul chose to live in the already because right here on this earth is where God was using him. Right here with these people is where God had called him to be. Right here in this life is where God chose to have him. But Paul lives right here, right now, with the purpose clearly set before him, the purpose of the not yet. Paul lives each day in this reality for the purpose of bringing the not yet into this life, of bringing heaven that is to come into the world today. That's the reason. He chooses to bridge that gap, right, and to bring the kingdom of God that he's longing for right here into this world, into people's lives today on earth, to bring Jesus, the Jesus that he, that he can see more clearly to people who can't see him at all. To bring that not yet into the already. That's the wonderful perspective that Paul gives us about the end times. Think about it. When, when we get to heaven, when we finally get to see what it's like, I hope for you and for me, I hope that it's pretty familiar. Because we've already started to live pieces of it here on this earth. We should be able to recognize it. That's what Jesus prays for us for. Remember the Lord's Prayer he gives us? The very start of it. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when we pray, this is a prayer he gave us, we're asking God to help us bring heaven to earth. To bring your kingdom that is to come right here, right now. That's our purpose. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. Bring heaven to earth. So we get a taste of heaven when we offer forgiveness. Because we're going to fully experience forgiveness when we get to heaven, right? We get a taste of heaven when we restore broken relationships and work towards unity. Because that's going to be our experience with God in heaven, right? We get, to, we get a taste of heaven when we worship and celebrate Jesus together because that's what we're going to do for eternity. We get a taste of heaven when we lead with love in all of our relationships here on earth because love is going to penetrate every relationship in heaven. We get a taste of heaven when we work for justice and righteousness, when we serve those who have been broken and abused, when we help make wrongs right, because isn't that what heaven's gonna be like? We get a taste of heaven already in this life when we set aside our greed and our anger and our pride and whatever sin grabs a hold of our hearts and lives. When we set it aside, what we're getting is we're getting the taste of heaven because before we enter into that door of heaven, we're gonna lay all sin aside. And it's going to be gone forever. You want a taste of heaven? Start setting it aside right now. Live it here on earth. It is our purpose to stand here in the already and to start bringing in the not yet. God said he'd do it. He'd do it through us. He would send his kingdom right here onto this earth to those who are willing to get a taste of heaven right now.
So God gives us enough understanding of the end times to give us purpose for today. But secondly, to also give us great assurance for the future. Hope you didn't miss the last little phrase that Paul gives us in verse 5 there. It says, God has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Think about that. You catch that word, guaranteeing. This is God guaranteeing. So if any guarantee is going to be good to go, this is one. God gives his guarantee. His Holy Spirit is a deposit that, that when we enter into eternity, we will be there with him in his kingdom forever. Our future glory has been guaranteed. Anybody who has accepted the free gift of grace through faith, anybody who has taken the Holy Spirit in and said, God, I want you to be Lord and master of my life, guarantee, guarantee. And so we live today in confidence. We live through the brokenness and the hurt of today, holding on to the guarantee of what is to come. And we rest in the truth that God wins, guaranteed. Satan doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. Brokenness and pain and death and disease, they don't win in the end. God does. And we win right along with him. Right? That doesn't take away the anxiety of the journey. It doesn't take away the, the hurts of this life and of this world. There, there's still a lot that makes us nervous. There's still a lot of unknowns. But it does give us a confident foundation and assurance. Our future eternity is safe and secure with God. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Purpose for today. Assurance for the future. If you came here today hoping to get into a deep discussion on the curious details of end times that would satisfy all your curiosities, sorry to disappoint you. We're not talking about rapture. We're not talking about millennium. But if you want true purpose for your life right now, if you want deep assurance for eternity that is to come, then live with this end in mind. Pay attention to what's going to happen 10 minutes after you stop breathing. And let the truth of God about that someday reshape how you live today. Ask yourself this question. Does your little corner of the world, wherever God has placed you, does your little corner of the world look more like heaven because you're in it? Does your little corner of the world look more and more like heaven because of the time that you give or the relationships that you cultivate or the money you invest or the prayers you pray or the worship that you experience or the grace and forgiveness that you live out? Does it? Are you allowing God to grow his kingdom here on earth in your little corner through you? Because it's through us that God brings the not yet into the already. It's through us that God brings his kingdom here to this earth. 
Choose to live in the already. Working towards the not yet. Wherever God has placed you. Let's pray for that together. Father, we confess that so often when we think about the end, we spend a lot of time debating about the curiosities. We split denominations. We've split families over the curiosities of the end. And in the meantime, we've missed the life change that you intended it to give us. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of what is to come. Thank you for not giving us the whole picture so we still hold on by faith. But thank you for giving us enough that we can have great assurance given by you, by your spirit, a guarantee that we're held by you and we're gonna experience your glorious kingdom for eternity. Thank you. And thank you, Father, that that guarantee can shape who we are today. I ask that you'd make each one of us kingdom people, people who want to usher your kingdom here on earth, people who want, who want heaven to be seen in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our offices and in our schools and in our church. And we're willing to do the hard work of living for your kingdom instead of our own kingdoms. We're willing to set aside our own purposes for life and to live out your kingdom purpose instead. Father, we can only imagine, we can only imagine the depth of the glory and greatness that we're going to experience for eternity with you. There's still so much mystery there. Yet we know it's going to be glorious. And so we thank you, Father for making a way, for opening the door, for welcoming my sin. Make us people who experience a taste of heaven 